we've come to the end of another feast, the Feast of Tabernacles, and now the last great day in 2021. And what a wonderful day this is. This last great day must be a favorite for many in the church because of what it shows us about our friends, our relatives, and other people around the world that we don't even know. But many people, even many people in the church, struggle with some of the things that they read in the Old Testament and trying to understand the mind of God. For example, we read that whole cities were destroyed, nations were destroyed, and God was the one that told the people to destroy them. In fact, God directly destroyed the whole world during the time of Noah and cities such as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities of the plains. So we must ask, how does God value the life of a human being? Is life cheap to God? Among other messages of this last great day is that human life is not cheap to God, but it's precious to him. And in this sermon, I'm going to bring perspective to the loss of life allowed by or even brought about by our Creator during this age. And as Dr. Douglas Esquinale often reminds us, we need to see the big picture. Let's begin by looking at Genesis, the first chapter, and we'll read verse 26. This is the creation chapter, as it's called, when God renewed the face of the earth and uh, created life on it once again. Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. So man was not made like the cattle, like the fish of the sea or the birds of the air. Man was made in a very special way in the image and the likeness of God. Now that should cause us to take serious note of uh, that we are separate. We are different from all of the animals. We're not simply the higher animal form. Uh, yes, we have an animal existence, you might say, a physical, uh, chemical existence that is temporary, but we're not like the animals who do not have the potential that man has. So God created man according to his image, according to his likeness, and let them have dominion or rulership over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And then God made us male and female, uh, according to his will. Uh, a wonderful plan that he had that we see today's world wanting to confuse and mix up, uh, even to where the word male or female is being censored in some cases. And it's sad, the direction that our world is going. But this is the way that God created us for his purpose, for his ultimate purpose of becoming as he is, uh, the sons and daughters of our creator. We read, though, in the third chapter that man chose for himself to determine right from wrong. Instead of taking God's word for it, we read in verse 3 of chapter 3, uh, well, verse 2, the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees, but of the fruit of the garden, or the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Now, this was the choice that they had. And if Adam and Eve chose the wrong tree, he said, death is the result of it. It wouldn't happen necessarily that very day, as it didn't, although it did in a broader sense of uh, days of a thousand years, but that day would bring the death penalty upon them. 
But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that in the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. You will be able to determine for yourself what is right and what is wrong. And we know that mankind chose the wrong direction. Uh, Eve was deceived by the serpent. Adam was not. He was weak. He gave in to his wife. And the end result was that they were cast out of the garden. And death has been the result ever since. We come over to the sixth chapter of the book of Genesis, this book of beginnings. We don't have to go very far. And we read of the time that the the world came to such a, a sinful state that God, in his mercy, wiped out all life except for Noah and his family, eight people. And we'll just read a couple verses there. Uh, one is verse 11. The earth was also corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. We, we see our world today filled with violence. Just uh, yesterday, as I'm recording this, uh, nine people were killed, plus the shooter, there in San Jose, California. And when I was preparing for a Tomorrow's World presentation uh, some time back, uh, by April the 5th of this year in the United States, there were over 140 killings by uh, gun violence in the United States where four or more people had been either injured or killed. Think about that. From January 1st to April the 5th, I think it was 142, if I recall correctly, but it was 140-some uh, killings that took place. And since that time, we've had many more uh, mass killings. When we think of mass as, as four or more people uh, shot or, or injured as a result of, uh, uh, of uh, gun violence. And there are other forms of violence, knife uh, violence and uh, auto vehicular violence that take place from time to time in different places around the world. Uh, we know that in southern France there was an incident that took place there where a lot of people were killed. There was another incident up in Toronto where somebody with a van started running over pedestrians uh, deliberately, obviously. So our world today is filled with violence. And this doesn't even talk about the individual violence where a person kills just one other person or uh, shoots one other person or stabs someone. There's all kinds of violence that is going on in our world today. But he also says in verse 5 that the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. We see pornography. We see violence. We see uh, sex uh, portrayed in a, in, uh, on television in a way that, well, it really shouldn't be portrayed at all. But we see that the whole attitude of man is only evil continually today. And that's the way it was before the flood. Uh, we know that God tells us that it will be the same when Christ returns. We can read in the 17th chapter of Luke that it would be like the days of Noah uh, before the flood. It would be like the days of Lot. And when we look around, we see that that's exactly what we have we must conclude that man is the one who has devalued life. The evidence of that is in the fourth chapter of Genesis, where we find that at the very beginning, uh, even before the flood, we see violence beginning, and we read there of 
Cain murdering his brother Abel. I won't read that at this time. I think we're all familiar with it. But it was Cain killing Abel, murdering his brother, his own brother. Think about it. Uh, what what a, a terrible thing to do. And that was the beginning of murder, although we know that Satan was a murderer from the beginning. His intent was to kill all of mankind. But nevertheless, we see that uh, violence, murder started there, and we see plenty of it in our world today. We have the evidence of abortion, where the most unsafe place for a baby is in his mother's womb. Uh, that's uh, that, that's a terrible tragedy, not just here in the United States or Canada or the UK, but in other parts of the world, Japan, China, uh, India, all these places around the world, uh, abortion is, is very common. Uh, we have murder and attempted murder, as mentioned, and then, of course, there's warfare, where one nation goes to war against another, not based on God's uh, direction, but based on human ideas, and usually starts out with somebody wanting to be somebody, whether it be a Hitler or a Mussolini, wanting to control more of the world, and the end result is we end up with wars. We have another situation in the 15th chapter of uh, Genesis where we have a God directing another uh, loss of life, in addition to the flood, we have in Genesis, the 15th chapter, I'll just read verse 16 leading up to it. It uh, says, uh, verse, and let's start with verse 12. Now, when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold, horror and great darkness fell upon him. Then he said to Abram, Know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, and will serve them, and they will afflict them 400 years. And also the nations whom, nation whom you serve I will judge, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. Now verse 15. Now as for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried at a good old age, but in the fourth generation uh, they shall return here, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. So God was not going to remove the Amorites from that land for Israel to take over until iniquity, till sin got to a certain level that God would say enough is enough. Now we can turn over to Leviticus, the 18th chapter. And in this chapter, Leviticus 18, it describes all kinds of improper sexual relations, everything from adultery to uh, incest. But here we find uh, it also talks about bestiality, uh, about homosexuality. Uh, all of those things are listed there. And then in verse 20, it says, Moreover, you shall not lie carnally with your neighbor's wife to defile yourself with her, and you shall not let any of your descendants pass through the fire to Molech. So they were practicing human sacrifice in the land, nor shall you profane the name of your God. I am the Eternal. You shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It's an abomination. In today's world, it's celebrated. Nor shall you mate with any animal. And that's been a problem down through history. And uh, even today, we don't hear much about it. But uh, who knows before the end comes how much we may hear about it uh, more and more. Nor shall any woman stand before an animal to mate with it. It's a perversion. 
Do not defile yourselves with any of these things, for by all these the nations are defiled, which I am casting out before you. In other words, the iniquity of the Amorites had come to a full degree to where God said, enough is enough. And I'm going to wipe these people out, uh, really for their own good, because these things do not bring happiness. Uh, one of the things we have in today's world is the trans movement. And uh, studies have shown that people who uh, transition uh, have a 20 times greater rate of suicide than the average population after a period of about 10 years. So they are happy at first, but it doesn't produce the happiness that they expect, and the end result is uh, sorrow of heart and so much depression that they take their lives in many cases, 20 times greater than the average population. And that shows that there's a problem with that. There was a problem that caused them to do what they did, and that problem was never solved. So God sometimes takes people out of the way for their own benefit. Uh, we'll continue reading. For the land is defiled, therefore, verse 25, I visit the punishment of its iniquity upon it, and the land vomits out its inhabitants. And God is going to vomit them out of the land. You shall therefore keep my uh, statutes and my judgments and shall not commit any of these abominations, either any of your own nation or any stranger who dwells among you. For all these abominations that we read of there in this 18th chapter, uh, the men of the land have done who were before you, and thus the land is defiled. He said, don't do it lest the land vomit you out also when you defile it as it vomited out the nations that were before you. And we are, you know, working in our Western world, Israelitish nations especially, we're working in that direction where God is going to vomit us out of the land because of our sins, uh, just as he got rid of those individuals. Another case is uh, found in the 17th chapter of Exodus, another group of people that God uh, decided that needed to be wiped out. And people sometimes have a hard time understanding these things. But here in verse 8 of Exodus, Exodus 17, verse 8, we'll begin. He says, Now Amalek came and fought with Israel in Rephidim. And Moses said to Joshua, Choose us some men and go out and fight with Amalek. So Amalek started the, the, the fight there. And Moses said to Joshua, Choose men and go out and let's defend ourselves. Let's fight against them. Uh, tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. And we're all familiar with how uh, when Moses raised his his arms with the rod there over his head that Israel was winning, and when he let it down, Amalek began to win. And so uh, the uh, two and Aaron and Hur helped him hold up. They put him on a rock, and they, they held the rod up, uh, his arms to support him. And there was a great victory that Israel had over Amalek. But then in verse 14 it says, The Lord said to Moses, Write this for a memorial in the book of recount, and recount it in the hearing of Joshua, that I will utterly blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar there, and for he said, Because the Lord has sworn the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. Now, 
for some people, that's hard to understand. Why would God have war with these people uh, from generation to generation? And why would he um, say that he, he's, he's going to, to wipe them out? Uh, let's notice over in Deuteronomy 25, because we have a little bit of uh, support of what was the reason behind it. Genesis 20, I'm sorry, Deuteronomy 25, Deuteronomy 25, and let's notice verse 17. He says, Remember what Amalek did to you on the way as you were coming out of Egypt, how he met you on the way and attacked your rear ranks, all the stragglers at your rear when you were tired and weary and did not fear God. So in other words, those who are weaker, perhaps those with small children, uh, there were there were those that may have been more feeble, the older folks there. And they were straggling a bit there, as often happens when you are traveling in a group. And here comes Amalek. He doesn't attack the, the strong ones. He attacks the weak ones at the rear. And he says, He met you on the way and attacked your rear ranks, all the stragglers at the rear, when you were tired and weary, and he did not fear God. Verse 19, Therefore it shall be, when the eternal your God has given you rest from your enemies all around, in the land which the Lord your God is giving you to possess as an inheritance, that you will blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven, you shall not forget it. Now, we, we have the example later on of Saul uh, sparing uh, some of the Amalekites. And uh, God said to wipe them out, man, woman, and child. And sometimes we think, well, why would God wipe out the, the, the children? Well, look at our world today. Amalek is still there. Uh, we look at Iran and believe that uh, with the split personality that it has, there are Persians and there are Amalekites. Uh, when you look at the story of Esther, we have Haman, who is an Amalekite, wanted to destroy all the Jews. And we have individuals in that part of the world today who still want to. And it goes from generation to generation. If, if Israel had done what God said back then, a lot of the problem that we have in the Middle East would not be here today. Uh, but that's something that uh, we, we some, sometimes think that we know better than God does. But God knew the personality. He knew the character of, of that group of people under the influence of Satan. We're not talking about without Satan being there, but Satan is able to influence them. It's interesting, the book, uh, Not Without My Daughter, a uh, very true story. And if you read the book, it's better than the movie. You, you begin to see that there is a powerful spirit influence that is there in Persia or in Iran. And while half the country or a portion of it, a large number of people there, are very pro-Western as the Shah of Iran was, you have this other group of people, the Ayatollah Khomeini, an Amalekite apparently, based by name uh, and by character. And they have hated Israel, not only the Jews, but also the United States and see us as the great Satan. This is something that uh, we need to understand, the, the character of the people without the uh, influence of, of God, but with the influence of Satan, the devil. And that influence, when it's taken away, is going to be very different. But right now, uh, that's what's happening. So, uh, is God unfair 
in wiping out some of those people or commanding his people to wipe them out back then. We know that we don't do that today in our world, that we are of a different uh, a calling. Uh, we've been called to preach the gospel of the kingdom of God to all the world. We've not been called to transform this world. We're not a nation that had to protect itself as uh, little Israel did. Now, as a, a nation, uh, whether it be uh, Britain or, or Canada or the United States, yes, we are a physical nation, and our nations do defend themselves, and God has fought for us. Uh, he's allowed us to suffer some of the consequences of our sins, but so far he has protected us in general. Uh, but that's going to end at some time in the very near future because of the way that we are going. But it was never God's desire to destroy human life. Human life for God is precious. Notice over in Matthew, the 10th chapter, Matthew 10 and verse 28. Matthew, the 10th chapter, and verse 28. And we read here, uh, Do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. So whatever a soul is can be killed. But rather, fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell or Gehenna. In other words, fear God. He says, Are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin? And not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father's will. God knows, even when a bird falls to the ground. Uh, I, I found a little bird in our garage, uh, came home from a, a trip, and apparently it got in there when we were leaving and didn't have food and water and just died, and it was upside down there. It didn't even show it to my wife at the time because I knew she'd get real emotional about it if she saw it. But I, I felt bad for that little bird. How much more does God who created that bird or the ancestors that uh, brought it about, that God loves his creation. And it tells us here, Jesus made this very clear, that uh, e even a, a bird, a sparrow, the, the tiniest, smallest, uh, most common bird you might say, uh, God looks upon with uh, compassion and, and mercy. But... He says, uh, not all them, when they fall to the ground, apart from your father's will, but the very hairs of your head are all numbered. God is able to number the hairs of our head. I don't know that he, he has a running tally for every individual here, but if he were somebody asked how many hairs uh, does that person have, he could tell you. Uh, he has that ability. He created everything. He's, he's able to do things that we, we can't even understand how he does them. But in other words, God is very concerned about each and every life, and especially human life. He says, verse 31, Do not fear, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. And he goes on to uh, explain other things from there. But the point is that uh, we are of greater value than many sparrows. Many, many sparrows, you might say. Uh, who knows how many uh, it would take, but uh, actually, in other words, we're of greater value than, than any sparrow or any bird or all the birds uh, put together. And Ezekiel, the 33rd chapter, Ezekiel 33 and verse 11. 
Ezekiel 33, verse 11. Say to them, As I live, says the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked. So even though God commanded the wicked to die or brought a flood upon them or rained down fire from, from heaven to destroy the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah or commanded Israel to destroy the Amalekites or the Canaanites that were in the, the land, uh, God says, e- even there, when we consider it, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked. Those were wicked people that, that he commanded the death of. But he didn't take pleasure in it but that the wicked turn from his way and live. That's what God wants for mankind, is to turn from our wicked ways. And sometimes terrible things have to happen for others to wake up and to understand that certain behaviors uh, are, are inappropriate. They're wrong. They're sinful. He says, turn, turn from your evil ways, for why should you die, O house of Israel? Why should you die, O house of Israel? That's a warning for us. This is Ezekiel. He's talking about end-time Israel, and specifically here, the house of Israel. He says, why should you die, O house of Israel? God doesn't want us to die. He wants us to live forever. This is his attitude there, we can see. In Second Peter, the third chapter, it may have already been read to you earlier uh, today, but we'll read it once again. In Second Peter, the third chapter, and verse 9, it says, the, the Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering. Think about the meaning of that word. Suffers long. He is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's the will of God. That's the heart of God. That's what he wants for all of us. And he is long-suffering. You know, if you if you put yourself in the mind of God, he created us, he's up on his throne, he's looking down here, he's seeing us murdering one another, he's seeing us uh, cut each other down verbally and all the other things we do. Uh, he sees us slandering one another on... Facebook and YouTube and various other places. He's seeing us changing the meaning of, of what it means to be male and female. He's seeing all this perversion that we have here on the earth today. Uh, when, a, when a parent sees a child hurting himself, the parent hurts too, doesn't, doesn't the parent? And God is our Father. Uh, he is our Father because He's begotten us, if we are uh, His children that way. But He is the one that created mankind. And He is the one who looks down on all of mankind with compassion and mercy. But sometimes He has to spank. Sometimes He has to do things to get our attention. And usually that means He has to do something that is painful for us. So, He says it's not His will... Uh, but uh, he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's his purpose for these things that happen. I know that the world uses John 3.16 in a way that is really not proper. In other words, it's, it's that, well, just God loves us and 
we just need to love one another and we don't have to do anything. It's all been done for us. And so they, they use this, this powerful scripture and they, they really demean it. They, they make it ordinary and take away from the great significance of it. And, and the book that I wrote on the subject, which I really didn't fully comprehend how, how many truths are found there that the world does not know. They don't know who God is. They don't know what the love of God is. Uh, they don't know who the Son is, that He was the God of the Old Testament, the one that uh, created Adam and Eve, the one that spoke the Ten Commandments, the one that brought destruction on Sodom and Gomorrah. They don't understand all those things. And when you break it down in that booklet that I wrote on the subject, I didn't realize how much the world misunderstood until I started getting into it. And uh, I was asked to uh, make it in serial form and then a, a booklet. But uh, I, again, I have to encourage you, if you've not read it, uh, please do so. But this is such a powerful statement. For God so loved the world, not just you and me and a few other Christians out there as Many Christians view it. Many professing Christians view it. Well, we're saved and all the rest are lost and they're going to burn in hell forever. No, it says God loved the world. And he's not talking about just the physical creation. He's talking about his creation of, of mankind. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. <clears throat> now, that's explained in that booklet why it says only begotten son. We're begotten as well. So why does it say only begotten son? Well, read the booklet and it'll explain it. Uh, So he gave his son that whoever believes in him. You see, this was a painful experience for God the Father. He was the one that gave his son. His son did it voluntarily, but people leave the father out of the picture. Uh, That whoever believes in him should not perish. The world doesn't even know what it means to perish. They think they're going to live forever in hellfire, but have everlasting life. That's why he gave his son as a sacrifice that we could have. The whole world would have the opportunity for eternal life, everlasting life. Now, when you think of this life, even if you live to be 100 years of age, that's nothing in comparison to eternity. It's such a small fraction, and it gets smaller as you go on into eternity to where it would be virtually forgotten. I don't know that we will forget this physical life, but uh, the tears we certainly will forget. Uh, God has a, a much bigger picture. I'm, I'm reminded of a parent teaching a, a child to ride a bike, and the parent knows that it's, it's good for the child to learn to ride a bike, but the parent also knows that he's going to fall over from time to time. And the parent knows that it's going to be painful in some cases. And so the child falls down and cries, and there's a temporary pain. But the parent has that big picture that he'll get over it, she'll get over it. This is not forever. It's just a a very short time. And so the parent comforts the child. But nevertheless, the parent knows that the, the big picture, that this is only for a short period of time of sorrow. And when the sorrow is over, eventually there's... Uh, a young person that can ride a bike, maybe goes on to ride in the Tour de France, probably not your kid or mine, well, not mine for sure, but uh, it, it, nevertheless, it, it's something that they, they learn that skill, 
and it's a wonderful skill to have. And maybe they take that bike to get to work or uh, to go on, uh, you know, some other trip. It's, it's a wonderful thing. But we understand that it's all temporary, those pains that we have. And there are so many other things through life as a child grows up and is crying a lot of times and the parent just knows that it's not going to be the worst thing that's ever happened. I sometimes maybe, uh, usually with a child who's not old enough to understand that's crying, I'll usually say, well, cheer up, it's going to get worse, uh, kind of joking with the, the parents more than anything else, uh, because it will get worse. There, there are many more pains in life. But nevertheless, there's, there are also good things, and uh, uh, it's just a, a private uh, personal joke, I guess you might say, and some might take offense to it, but um, it, life does have its, its bumps and bruises, doesn't it? We've all gone through them and will continue to go through them. In, in Psalm 103, Psalm 103, and in verse 8, we'll begin... Psalm 103, verse 8. It's one of my favorite psalms. Uh, We'll just start here in in verse 8. It says, The Lord is merciful and gracious. And this really goes back to the 34th chapter of of, uh, Exodus. And it's when Moses uh, was was seeing God's uh, backside there. And it was proclaiming the name of the Lord. And the Lord, or the Eternal, is merciful. He is gracious. He will not always strive with us, nor will He keep His anger forever. God's anger is not going to be upon us forever. He doesn't hold grudges in that way. He has not dealt with us according to our sins. You know, if God dealt with us according to our sins, boom, we'd be dead the first time we sinned nor punished us according to our iniquities. We don't get the punishment that we deserve. We do have punishment from time to time, but it's never according to what we we totally deserve. Again, because we would be put to death, because the penalty of sin is death. He says, For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is His mercy toward those who fear Him. Notice it's toward those who fear Him, As far as east is from west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Just from east to west, as far as you can go, that's how far he has removed our transgressions from us. It never quite meets east and west. It's always uh, further and further away, one step away. Um, He says, so has he removed our transgressions from us as a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. Notice again, those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. He knows how we are made. He knows the influence of Satan and how powerful that is. As for man, his days are like grass. As a flower of the field, so he flourishes. For the wind passes over it, and it is gone, and its place remembers it no more. But the mercy of the eternal is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear Him. Those who come to respect and honor God. And His righteousness to children's children, to such as keep His covenant, and to those who remember His commandments to do them. That's God's great mercy that He's going to have on, that He has on all of us, and that He's going to have on all the world as they come to uh, repentance someday. The, The book of Jonah is quite instructive. I think it's a 
it's 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 an interesting case here. Something that that everybody uh, seems seemingly knows about. I know that not everybody does. And the more we go on in this world, uh, the less that people really understand. And if they went to that movie on the subject, uh, what an abomination that was. I didn't see it, but I saw enough of the trailers and read enough reports on it that it was a terrible abomination. It was anti-God in every way. But right before Micah, uh, we have the book of Jonah. And it's a fascinating study in the nature of Jonah. Uh, He was a prophet of God. He's no doubt going to be in the kingdom of God. I think he's going to have a little bit of a red face, shining like the sun, but maybe a little red when uh, people read or know of who he is. Oh, you're Jonah. Oh, yeah. You know, I kind of think that there will be moments like that at the beginning, but everybody will love Jonah. And, uh, you know, he he did things that we wouldn't be willing to do, uh, perhaps. And uh, so we read of his case here. I'm going to start in chapter 3, verse 10, the last verse of chapter 3. Says, then God saw their works that they turned from their evil way. This is the city of Nineveh. Uh, these were the uh, ancestors, not the ancestors, the, the predecessors of, I guess, ancestors of modern day Germany. Um, and uh, they had that same uh, very orderly uh, approach, and they could be uh, cruel if Satan used them, but uh, they were also uh, wonderful people in many other respects and are today with great characteristics and just happen to be that God uses them. Notice he uses them, not because they're more evil than the rest of us, but he used them to punish Israel. And they repented at Jonah's preaching. And, you know, when have our nations really repented uh, from a prophet of God in the way that the Ninevites did? It's where God postponed punishment upon them for decades as a result of it. Chapter 4, verse 1, just reading on, it says, But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he became angry. Now, here's Jonah. He's going to these people. He's telling them to repent. They repent, and he gets angry about it. Well, he knew that these were enemies of Israel, and he didn't want them to repent. That's no doubt one reason that he fled and didn't want to go. So he prayed to the the eternal and said, verse 2, Ah, Lord, or eternal, was not this what I said when I was still in my country? Therefore I fled previously to Tarshish, for I know that you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness. There again goes back to the 34th chapter of, of Exodus, where it gives us the name of God. This is proclaimed the name of God. Uh, gracious, merciful, slow to anger, abundant in loving kindness, who relents from doing harm. Therefore now, O eternal, please take my life from me, for it's better for me to die than to live. You know, woe is me. I'll go out and eat worms and die, so to speak. And the eternal said, Is it right for you to be angry? Is it right for you to be angry, Jonah? And Jonah went out of the city And he sat on the east side of the city, and there he made himself a shelter and sat under its shade till he might see what would happen to the city. And then God prepared this plant that grew up overnight there. 
and it gave him shade from the hot sun. And Jonah was very grateful for that. Then verse 7, but the morning dawned the next day and God prepared a worm. So God prepared not only a special fish, but a special plant, maybe kudzu, I'm not sure, uh, but a special plant. And then he also prepared a a special worm that would uh, destroy the plant. Uh, very quickly. And it happened, verse 8, when the sun rose that God prepared a vehement east wind and uh, the sun beat on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. Then he wished death for himself and said, it is better for me to die than to live. Verse 9, then God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? I, I created that plant. I, I sheltered you for a time. Is it right for you to be angry? about the plant, and Jonah said, It is right for me to be angry, even to death. But the Eternal said, You have had pity on the plant for which you have not labored. You didn't do anything to bring that about. You didn't fertilize it. You didn't plant it. You didn't do anything. It gave you shade temporarily there, and you had pity on the plant, nor made it grow, which came up in a night and perished in a night. Verse 11, And should I not pity Nineveh? that great city in which are more than 120,000 persons who cannot discern between their right hand and their left and much livestock as well. God wanted to give them a chance before he brought destruction upon them. And God pitied the people of Nineveh. He is slow to to anger and he is long-suffering. So we see the mind of God even when it comes to some of the enemies of Israel. And, of course, we can read how Israel and Egypt and uh, Assyria are going to be, you know, uh, together uh, leaders in the world tomorrow. Uh, We see all those things. So God doesn't just hate in the sense that we think of as hate people. We know that he he loved uh, Jacob and hated uh, Esau. I mean, to love to a lesser degree. Uh, at that time, but doesn't mean that God has written these people off forever. In Romans, the 8th chapter, Romans 8, and we'll begin in verse uh, 14, Romans 8, and verse 14. Very familiar with this. He says, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. And we know that it means far more than just a figure of expression or figure of speech. We are sons of God. We are begotten of God's Spirit. The very Spirit is in us. And we are going to be born into His very family. And he says, if we are led by the Spirit of God, we are the sons of God. Verse 15, for you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption or sonship by which, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. Uh, two different languages saying the same thing, but it's kind of like Daddy, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. We have God's Spirit in us, uniting with the Spirit in man making us a new creature. And of children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. We are to inherit all those things, uh, joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. So there is suffering in this life. 
And there's there's a lot of suffering in this life. When we think about it, there are a lot of good times. Most of most of us don't suffer more than we than we uh, enjoy life. But there are those times in life, and sometimes rather extended periods of time, especially toward the end of life, when there is a great deal of suffering. But even there, there are lessons not only for us, but for family and friends and those around us, where God is teaching us lessons and the importance of uh, you know God's plan and how death is our enemy. But there's coming a time when he will wipe away all tears from our eyes. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. There's coming a time when the sons of God will be revealed to this world. And that's hopefully going to be you and me. And we know from 2 Corinthians, the 6th chapter, it speaks in verses 18 to 20, it speaks of sons and daughters. So we're not leaving the ladies out on this. I, I, I love that scripture. Uh, I'm married to uh, one which, which would be a daughter of God. And uh, I look forward to, to sons and daughters. And who knows exactly what we're going to be like in the kingdom uh, in terms of specifics and everything. But God is is bringing us into his very family. And it says here, the creation was subject, verse 20, to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. God has given us hope. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption, that's decay, that is death and decay, He's delivered us from that into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation, verse 22, groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. And not only that, but we who also have the first fruits of the Spirit. That's you and that's me. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption or the uh, coming into sonship, the redemption of our body. For we were saved in this hope. But hope that is seen is not hope, for why does one still hope for what he sees? So God is is holding out to us this incredible opportunity to become his very sons. And that same hope is opened up to all of mankind, ultimately, as we're learning from this day. And hopefully you had the message earlier today on on the meaning of this day in a a more uh, uh, patterned way. Uh, Let's notice over in Hebrews, the second chapter, Hebrews 2, and I'm not going to read the whole part. Uh, I think we're familiar with it, and also it may have also been read earlier today, but in Hebrews, the second chapter, uh, we'll just notice verses 14 to 18. It says, "...inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood," that's you and me taking part in this flesh and blood, He himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil. So Jesus came in flesh and blood. Our creator emptied himself and and came down here as a human being. And he came to release those who, verse 15, through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. For indeed, he does not give aid to angels, but he does give aid to the seed of Abraham. 
Mankind is a special creation. We certainly need to value that fact. Therefore, in all things he had to be made like his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in all things pertaining to God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. So he came down here so that he could be a faithful high priest in in every sense. He could understand what it was like to be in the physical flesh that he had created. But he wanted a, a greater understanding, and he set the example. He was leading us in the right way. I've already mentioned uh, 2 Corinthians 6, verses 18 to 20, that speaks of sons and daughters. I won't turn there. Because God is is creating a great family. Uh, He's bringing many children to live with him forever. Forever. And that's a long, long time. And whatever number you want to come up with, you can square it, means multiply it by itself and multiply itself again and it just goes on and on and on you know there's so many things in this life that we get so upset about we get concerned about we get caught up in the politics of the day or into anger or somebody did something to me so I'm angry with that person and I'm not going to forgive them that's how some people are uh, but, but really what does that matter in terms of eternity. The only thing that matters is if we don't forgive, God's not going to forgive us. And uh, if we get caught up in this world and doing the things of this world and you know lobbying for this cause or that cause in a worldly way, we're, we're not... We, we may miss out on all of eternity. God is in control. He knows what's happening here. Right now, we are temporary. And most people fail to see the big picture. And if we're honest with ourselves, there are times in our lives when we get distracted from the big picture, something so big in our life, maybe a death of a loved one, uh, maybe the suffering of a loved one. We get caught up in that, and yes, we are emotional, and we should be emotional about those things, but we always have to keep the big picture. There's a far greater picture than anything that's happening here on this earth than any world war or anything else. There's a bigger picture to it all. As we've seen, God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. He's gracious, merciful, forgiving, and long-suffering. Today reminds us that those who die, not having their minds open during this age, uh, still are part of God's plan. And in God's plan, they will be brought back to life again to have a chance, not a second chance, a second life, but not a second chance. In other words, if we reject God when we really know what it's all about and we, we've had the opportunity to know, really, really know the truth and to live the truth and we reject it, there's, there's no second chance, as we are told uh, several times there in the book of uh, Hebrews. But we're talking about people who whose minds were never opened by God. And he's going to open their minds, and he's going to give them their chance, this pictured by this last great day, and they're going to live forever. Those who died during the Noatian flood, they're going to have a chance. 
to come back to life and to know what the big picture is, to know, to understand what was lost when Adam and Eve were kicked out of the garden. They're going to be able to understand the bigger picture. The Amalekites, who foolishly but ignorantly fought against Israel, are going to have their opportunity. The perverted people of Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities of the plains, they're going to come up. And we, we know that from Matthew, the 10th, 11th, and 12th chapters. It talks about you know, the, the cities of Capernaum and, and uh, the cities of, of Judah at that time, how uh, if the miracles, the, the mighty works had been done in Sodom and Gomorrah, and in other cities of the Gentiles, they would have repented long ago. So we know that those people are going to be given that opportunity. So we often, maybe some people see it as railing against the LGBT movement and homosexuality and so forth. It, it's the actions that we're railing against, but those people are going to be given their chance. In so many cases, they're, they're really a, a pitiful lot. Uh, we don't know all the the circumstances of life that led them to come to those conclusions, and of course Satan working there and now uh, turning our, our whole culture upside down and trying to destroy it. But those perverted people of Sodom and Gomorrah are going to come back to life and have their chance. And many of your friends and relatives, co-workers on the job, acquaintances, neighbors, you know, they're going to have their chance as well. And that's a wonderful thing. I think that we all look forward to certain people's, certain special people in our lives who didn't understand, and they're going to be given their chance. All will be given a real first chance. Now, some few during this age, but others at the age to come, after the millennium, they'll be brought back to life again, as uh, we again learned this morning. Today, we rejoice in our calling and in the knowledge that is given to us, this big overview, this big picture of what God has in mind for us. We can rejoice in that. We don't have to look at everybody that doesn't believe in it like we do, or as we do, and think, oh, they're lost forever. They're just going to fry forever in eternity in hell. I mean, what kind of hope is that? What kind of joy is that going to be when you know your mother and your father and various other people you love are down here on this earth uh, someplace just frying or boiling forever. That's that's no hope. God has given us a calling, and he's given us an understanding. The knowledge that he's given to us is so wonderful. But we also greatly rejoice in the fairness of God. God's fairness, that he is going to allow everybody a fair chance for salvation. Uh, when he's going to give everyone who's ever lived the same chance that we have, to live for all of eternity. This truly does picture a very great day.